Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach, and Adam, Adam, Adam. Ooh, Zach, Zach, Zach. Okay, man, I really thought I had more there. I thought I was just going to riff on something real quick, and it was going to be a good little (laughs) intro, and I totally screwed that up. You want to talk about Emma Frost today? I want to talk about Emma Frost let's today. Just, let's just and jump to it. Let's talk about Emma Frost today, right? Yeah, I think we should. Um, I don't think we've ever done an all Emma Frost episode, have we? I don't know, probably. Uh, I don't know. It feels like I would, if we would have, we would have talked about one of these stories already, now that I say that out loud. But I, I think we could use some help. We, we need to bring in some backup today, because Emma Frost is, an, is a complex character. Emma has a lot of facets. Uh, we love her dearly. Uh, but we, we found someone else who loves her a lot. Uh, you may know him as the senior literary agent over at Fuse. Is also the uh, host of Cerebro, an X-Men character-by-character podcast. It's Connor Goldsmith. Connor, how are you doing today? Hi, Zach. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. It's so much fun to be here. Thanks for coming. This is great to have you here. Well, uh, there's nothing I love more than an opportunity to pretend there isn't a presidential election happening tomorrow by instead (laughs) spending some time talking to uh, people about Emma Frost, because that's really all I want to do in my free time anyway. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what, guys, our normal recording session is on Tuesdays, and that's just stuck in stuck in our heads. Uh, And because of that, I forgot that what is also on Tuesdays right now are, are bad things. Yeah, I was like, can we we record Monday? Because on Tuesday, I think I'm going to be drunk. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so here's the thing. Either everything went well and we can laugh about Hopefully this, everything uh, went well. If we are in the middle of Civil War II, not the Carol Danvers version, then... Not the bad thing. I well, hope, well, well would, it would be pretty bad. It this would be, would be worse. Shockingly, this would be worse. Shockingly, it would be worse than the Carol Danvers Civil War II, which I think is a tall order as bad comic books go. Um, but, uh, hopefully nothing bad is happening. Hopefully we are all feeling extremely relieved by the time you're listening to this. But, uh, if not, the whole world is watching us now and we must be nothing less than fabulous. That's right. That sounds like something Emma would say right there. It, uh, it is something (laughs) Emma would say, so... So who is this is coming to us from a, a request, right, Zach? This is uh, the first story on our list today comes to us from one of our supporters over there on Patreon. If you want to be a supporter, uh, you can go over to patreon.com slash battle of the atom. Throw a couple of dollars our way and we will craft an entire episode around one of your suggestions. In this case, it's Patreon supporter and our friend Jason Large who went on over there. Uh, and Jason said, guys, I'd love it if you talked about X-Men Black Emma Frost number one. Ooh. If only there was X-Men one. Black Emma Frost like two through ten. Like I would have enjoyed <laughs> reading a lot more of these personally. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, another one of those killer Leo Williams one shots that really helped put her on the map. Yeah. Uh, along with What If Magic. We have to do our our standard Battle of the Autumn disclaimer. <laughs> Leah is a friend. 
Uh, yeah. We we will be as impartial as we can. Uh, y'all y'all were around when this uh, was she on the show before this one came out? I like, think she's on right before, been, mm, right around there. Yes, right around there. She's been on too many times. Uh, I'm just kidding. We love you, Leah. Uh, no, this came out right at the end of uh, October as they were ramping up, and it's Leah Williams and Chris Batchelow. Uh, and it is a really stellar one shot. It's a barn story, yeah. Up, <laughs> it sets up Emma for such interesting things. So, X Men Black, for uh, if you don't remember or you don't know, uh, was a month-long event that they did of one-shots about different X-Men villains. And villains in X-Men specifically is such a nebulous thing. Uh, But Emma Emma was not on the side of angels at this point. (sighs) Well, I mean, so this book, um, and and for my own disclaimer, I don't uh, know Leah Williams, but I am a fan uh, and we have a lot of friends in common, and I would love to be friends with Leah Williams. So if she's listening, we should <laughs> chat about this issue because also I would love to talk about one of your favorite X-Men perhaps at some point on another show. Um, my reaction to this issue when it came out was, first of all, it's just really nice to see a woman write Emma Frost because Absolutely. that has not happened very much. And I think that a lot of the time, I mean, Emma is my favorite character, bar none. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid... Storm and Betsy were my favorites. I grew up, my dad's a a collector, so I grew up reading the Claremont and Simonson stuff instead of the stuff that was coming out in the 90s, which I'm very glad was the case. (laughs) And uh, so I preferred like original flavor Betsy, who's now back. But I also liked Ninja Betsy. And then Storm was my absolute favorite. By the time of the 21st century, Betsy was dead for a hot minute there. And mm-hmm. with Storm, I just didn't, um, I was never a Black Panther person. So Emma really took over my whole life, starting in Grant Morrison's New X-Men. And yet, until this happened, I couldn't think of really a single time that a woman had written this character. And so I think that a lot of the time she's, uh, it's sort of men having ideas about, I mean, Anna Senti wrote that great classic X-Men backup, I guess, but otherwise. But even even then, it's, very very few and far between appearance appearances and never as the central character in a story. Right. And I think it I think it works here. So this is this is really a story about Emma taking charge, taking control of her own destiny and setting up a new status quo for her. She manipulates the X-Men into helping her take over the Hellfire Club from Sebastian Shaw and it rules. It's great. And this is coming as you said off of um Perhaps my least favorite Emma Frost storyline of all time, which uh, is Inhumans versus X-Men, where... It's a bad one. She's writ- I mean, on, on Cerebro, I make a point of... I refuse to acknowledge it. On the, It's as though it did not happen. <laughs> and so we just skip over it uh, anytime it appears in any character's story. I'm just like, and then Inhumans versus X-Men happens. So after that, because I just... It all felt very editorially mandated. The characters did not feel like they were behaving as they ought to behave. And Emma, I think, got it the worst. And it did feel like Mm -hmm. there was sort of a mandate from on high to make Emma Frost bad again when she had been a hero for 20 years by that point. Longer than she had ever been a villain. Sure. So... I found that very disappointing. I particularly found the decision to have Emma kill children to be Mm. astoundingly insulting to the character. 
Uh, and to do it because she had lost her mind over her boyfriend was also Ugh. enormously insulting to the character, in my opinion. Uh, I was... Wasn't great. I was vocal about that on Twitter, and I feel <laughs> bad now because I think I was kind of mean, but I was uh, I was real mad at the time. So this... You, you can be mean about IVX. It's deserved. I know, I know, <laughs> but I, I try to be a little more reserved about my, when I don't like something, um, but this mm. really upset me at the time. And so after that, I was really relieved when Cinna Grace rehabbed her a little bit in the Iceman solo and then this issue was just a real breath of fresh air because it opens and it's like okay the x-men don't trust emma right now but she's not like going and putting on a magneto <laughs> helmet and like you know murdering children with sentinels like it's like okay this is emma who's a recognizable version of herself and mm -hmm. she can interact with these people she's been friends with for 20 years now and it's normal and she's also hanging out at Walmart, which is not normal. For absolutely. Emma. No, but I do love the opening of this with the first couple of pages and all the characters sort of playing with spatulas or, you know, there's a couple of like fake Funko Pops in the background. It's a fun it's just set such piece. a great little vignette. And then the the rest of the, the book, which is literally just this like action packed mm -hmm. um, floor by floor massacre of the Hellfire Club until we get the standoff with sebastian shaw is really masterful and it's done uh in in a in a way that um really does a nice job of thinking about the page count absolutely and making it as action-packed as it possibly can so that you get i think one of the the best splash page finale pages that we've gotten in a long time where she assumes the mantle of the black king it works so well I think Williams does a really good job having a very tight script here. Uh, mm -hmm. She knows that she needs to have a big standout action moment for Emma and then have there be some tension with her confrontation with Sebastian Shaw, who, you know, gaslit her emotionally and physically abused her for years and years. Like, he is a horrible figure in her life. And she gets to this new status quo by defeating him, putting him aside for a time, and then, you know, assuming his place, saying, no, I am in charge now. I I really love that, and I love that they bring Chris Batchelow in for this, since he was one of the big voices bringing her into Generation X, which really started mm -hmm. her down the path of becoming mm -hmm. the X-Men character we all know and love today. I think it works really, really well. And I'm glad that even if, for all of the Krakoa stuff, they're like, well, we really want Sebastian Shaw back on the table. <laughs> yeah, I would say if there's one really big weakness to this issue, and it's not a problem with the issue itself, it's a problem mm -hmm. with the timing of the issue, is right. that almost none of it matters. Because yeah, this status quo lasts for about two months before mm -hmm. we start gearing up for House of X. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned the Bachelot art, because I was going to mention that so here's the thing he is obviously a very talented and and skilled artist with lots of mm -hmm. really intense fans who are completely correct to love i personally for me the his aesthetic just does not it's not my thing it's like okay. for me mm -hmm. him and joe mad and a couple of the other 90s people where it was a little more cartoony it just never quite clicked for me and that was part sure. of why 
Gen X was never my my favorite book, and I got really attached to Emma in the Morrison New X Men period. Mm. Right. Um. So it was interesting to go back to that because I had the same thought of, oh, it looks like it looks like Gen X. But then in that first scene in the Walmart, she's wearing this outfit. And this yeah. was the one <laughs> this was the one real like note I had, which is like Emma would never wear this. It's listen. Dazzler would wear I that lo- outfit. I, it's not an Emma outfit. It's just not. I love I love Chris Matchell. He's probably my favorite artist, but that's that's very much a him That's outfit, a Chris Bachelor drew Emma. this on a hot lady outfit. I was just like, Emma yes. would not wear this. And listen, as soon as she changes into her costume, it looks great. And I think that all of the action art, here's the thing. When I say that uh, it's just not my aesthetic, what I'm saying is mm-hmm. I understand that that's a personal taste thing. He's very, very good. And I do think that the cartoonier vibe to the to the combat and the violence Mm -hmm. in this really really works because emma has always been playful in how she manipulates people's minds in how she does that and so that floor by floor like die hard or final fantasy 7 shinra tower level Mm -hmm. scene whatever you want to think of it as parasite eve new game plus (laughs) a couple options we have i'm just saying if you're doing that sort of thing the way that she goes up, 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 and she's just like, you kiss, you kill each other, you do this. And the way that he does it is these big cartoon splashes of, you know, almost over-the-top campy violence. It feels very mm-hmm. Emma. And so I do think that that works really well. I just I just can't get over those shoes at the beginning. It's a, it's, <laughs> And the hair. It's the, just, hair, the hair is a choice. She the just doesn't. A choice. I don't know. It's just it, the Punisher logo is a choice. I truly um, didn't. I truly don't get it. In fact, I was looking at a list of like rank your favorite X women once, and someone used mm-hmm. a picture from that scene for Emma, and I went, "Who is that?" And then I remembered. I was like, <laughs> "Oh, it's Emma from from that from one that from scene. that one scene." Because I remember the rest of this issue, but I had forgotten that outfit. So I'm just going to say I I vote no on the outfit, but everything else about this issue I love, particularly the scene with Shaw, because as you say, Shaw is this truly horrendous figure in Emma's life. Mm -hmm. And I think especially given that they bring him back in Dawn of X, it makes having this scene occur makes, um, the scene in House of X where Xavier and Magneto ask Emma to bring Shaw in. And she says, all right, for the children, I'll do right, that. One more time for the One kids. One more time for the children. That was the moment I like fully unclenched because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, Jonathan Hickman knows how to write this character. Like that was a big mm-hmm. relief to me because I find that a lot of people write Emma in ways I don't get and it, right. i'm very particular about my emma and i i'm it's always really a relief to me when i can tell that the writer sees her the way that i do but having this one shot where you really get a sense of just how freaking disgusting this guy is and mm-hmm. how specifically demeaning he is to her and always has been for, it, it underlines sort of the sacrifice she's making in house of x to do that to make a compromise to try and make something better, you know, I, I think that it yeah. works well. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I want to just go back to Bachelor for a second because um, he had been doing Doctor Strange around this time, mm-hmm. and it had been it had been a really long time since he'd actually uh, done Uncanny 
with Bendis. Yeah. I mean, you say um, a really long time. It was three years. It was. It was I know. Yeah, but I, I know three. that. But if you look at if you look at the Uncanny Run and then you look at this, you can already see he's an artist whose core stays the same, but he he's so much looser here in what it is that he's doing. You know, like the line work is not if you go back to original generation X, the line work is much darker and heavier. Yeah, it's so much more uh, tight knit. And this is very loose. It's very cartoony. It's very fluid in the way it tells the story. I think I think it's really cool with Um, Chris. Chris's stuff. It really depends on which inker is inking him because mm, he has several that he keeps gainfully employed. Uh, This book has um, six inkers. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) <laughs> and which colorist is using him because even in this book Four there colorists. is there is a significant change in how the coloring runs you know how much is how vibrant it is how much use of gradients versus flats there are that changes a lot even throughout this issue and that's something that can really make or break his art for me mm-hmm. well and i think that the way the coloring shifts once she gets to shaw's penthouse Mm -hmm. is really good because you suddenly it has been this sort of cartoony adventure and it's nice also to see emma frost get a solo adventure that demonstrates how powerful she is because usually she's part of a team and the thing about emma that's one of the things i love most about emma is that emma is not an omega level telepath emma is not Mm -hmm. Rachel Summers or Jean Grey or Professor Xavier. Emma is someone who is precise. Emma is someone who knows exactly how to get someone in their weak point. And to watch her do this sort of large scale thing is fun because it's not something she gets a lot of opportunities to do. And in this case, it's because you can tell she's planned it all out very methodically. And she Mm. knows exactly what she's going to do before she does it. None of it is improvised. And uh, that's the Emma I love. I mean, she's a chess player. She's the white queen. She's the most powerful piece on the board. I absolutely love this issue. Um, And I think it might be a good time for us to rank this on our giant list. What do you think, Zach? Are you talking about our list of 429 X-Men stories uh, ranked from best to worst that we've been doing for too many years now? That's a lot of stories. <laughs> it's it's several several of all of the stories. Uh, the number one story on our list is Hoxpox at the controversial number one. I saw somebody's old comment who was like, you guys are nuts. And I said, eh, I'm not going to bother with it. We've said our piece. <laughs> I think you're right. It's Thank a hard you. decision. I think you're right. True. I think you're right. Uh, the number one. I don't think it could list. exist without earlier stories that are, you know what I mean. But of I think not. that obviously because it's a very referential story. But as mm-hmm. a as a single story standing alone, I think you're right. Yeah, I think I'm right. right too. We're right. <laughs> I'm I'm glad we're getting validated. But on I'm that. a big I'm a big Dawn of X head. So you know, like I I'm a I'm a Hickman I'm a Hickman girl. I'm like one of those Beatlemania girls. I would go ah if he walked by me <laughs> on the street. So. Well, well, speaking of a bunch of ladies screaming, number 100 on our list is Uncanny X-Men 244, Ladies' Night, uh, where they all go to a mall. 
Uh, number 200 on our list is Ecstatics 13 through 18, Back from the Dead. That's the time they brought back Princess Diana, but then changed her name at the last minute. Uh, 300 on our list, which is Monet Vampire Hunter from Generation X uh, 62. Woof. And number 400 on our list, uh, Young X-Men 7. And it's way better than the last story on our list, which is the Draco and less than about ah, that. The better. Well, you're right about that, too. So we have our number one and number 429 lined up. <laughs> exactly correct. Yeah, we, together. We've, now we We've have... got those. Oh man, those you ranked it worse than X Men Phoenix Legacy of Fire. But you know what? You're right. The Draco is worse than X Men Phoenix Legacy of Fire. <laughs> it is. It is really bad. It's, now at 227, yeah. we have another X Men Black title, which was Mojo. I think this, this is, is better way than Mojo. Better way better than that. Than that. How, however, all the way up at number 30 is Leah's other one shot uh, from the same year, which is What If from Magic. From the same day. That, what um, If Magic is better than this? Of. Yes, absolutely. I think what if magic hits emotional notes that uh, this is not. Um, here's so a here's a limit I wouldn't say for it's me that, that high. I, that I I'm seeing going down this list at 75 mm-hmm. is Wolverine the Jungle Adventure. Mm. Yeah, I I think Jungle Adventure is better than this. I would agree. Uh, but I don't think we're too far down because like, okay, wait, 83. I, I like this better. Th- I like this better than 109 Exterminators. Now, Connor, you were saying 83. 83. Is that Fallen Angels like with Ariel and Gomi and Siren? Yeah, that's okay. Fallen Angels I with was the like, dinosaur and the lobster. Okay, yes. then, yes. yes. Then that yes. Was, th- that's, 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 yeah. I was just making sure because if you had, uh, yes. yeah. Okay, N- no comment. No, we wouldn't um, do that. No comment on Fallen Angels 2019. Um, <laughs> though, though, right below that is actually a really good comparison point. It's Uncanny X-Men 314 early That's Frost, what I was about Emma to takes say. Over yeah. Iceman's mm. body. That's what I was about to say. And then I saw Fallen Angels right above it. And I was like, wait a minute. Um, so early Frost is one of the best Emma issues. It is. It's outstanding. Um, I don't know that this is better than Early Frost, but it's it's if I were to rank single issues about Emma, these are two that would be in my top five, probably. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They are they are right there. I I'm looking right around here. I think this is better than X Force Volume Three One Through Six Angels and Demons. I yep. think this is better than Assault on Gray Malkin. Yep. Mm. Uh, I'm a little conflicted about putting it ahead of Executioner's Song. I think Executioner's uh, Song's a little longer than it needs to I, uh, be. I think Come there's on. a lot of problems with Executioner's Song, <laughs> frankly. Um, I'm a huge fan. It's higher on the list than me. here's the thing. I don't think it's it better. Is. Oh, no, wait. Fur- I think it is better than Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. I thought that was Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. I think we could easily put this at 85. I, would, and, I was just about to say. And push it above the, the first arc of Uncanny X-Men Volume 2. That's what I would do, too. Yeah. Yeah. Put it right under early frost. I think that fits because they're 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 sort of paired. They're a good set together. Yeah, that's, that's a good pairing right there. Our new number eighty five. Now, uh, Connor, you mentioned before that Emma Frost is uh, first and foremost, just like Wu Tang for the children. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we have uh, our next arc is Emma's not a central character in this, but does have a great scene in one of the issues yes. she, she's in the first and the last issues of this and uh, well, she's in all of them in... doing not much in the middle but yeah. right 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 so this is a an arc from new x-men uh 33 to 36 does this have a name zach mercury, mercury, mercury falling yes I, because mercury is our main character i here. could not believe that you guys made me read academy x kids I, here's my. So here's my. Hold on, hold on. Okay, I want to hear this because yeah. this is gonna. 
This Here is going to make me happy and a lot of people mad. I know. So here's my thing. I don't have a problem with any of these characters, and I actually quite enjoyed this story. So, you know, there there are obviously great things about these characters. My issue is I was so enraged about the decimation when it happened because, to me, the X-Men is about the minority metaphor, and I thought mm-hmm. the decimation ruined everything I loved about the X-Men. So mm. I tried to hold on for a minute, and then I quite honestly just fell off hard and didn't read anything for a couple of years. And I've since gone back and read, but I could never bring myself to get into this student class for whatever reason. I think because they were so tied to that period that I did not have any interest in. And for a long time, I was very down on X-23 as a character specifically because I thought that she was a stupid idea. I was like, oh, she's a hot girl clone of Wolverine with claws in her feet. Like, that's really stupid. And I recently had an epiphany when I was talking to a friend of mine who also loves the 80s Claremont stuff more than anything else. We both love magic, Eliana Rasputina. Mm-hmm. And Ileana Rasputina is maybe the stupidest character ever invented in history, <laughs> by which I mean she is a popular X-Man's little sister who is the protagonist's best friend but is cooler than her and more powerful than her, can teleport further than Nightcrawler, is the 14-year-old ruler of a demon dimension she conquered at 13, <laughs> has cool soul sword made of her own dark soul and like grows demonic armor whenever she does something cool she's a really stupid character by which i mean she's someone that like uh, i was a child she's someone i as a child would have come up with in my fan fiction about the x-men and here's the thing i love that character that character is one of my all-time favorite characters and i love that a whole new generation is now obsessed with her because she got brought back in a big way And Mm -hmm. I realized, this was the epiphany I had sort of while I was uh, reading some recent stuff, that if I'm going to love magic in all her silliness, I need to let other people who are like six years younger than me love X-23 because she's essentially the magic for people about six years younger than me. (laughs) She really is, which is not a comparison I had thought up of, but no, that makes that she's makes a lot similarly of sense. just like a very fan fictiony character. And I grew up reading fan fiction. I'm not saying that yeah. as an insulting term, but it does feel like it's like I get to invent my own X Man, and here's how cool she is, and all of the stuff about her. So this is an arc I had not read except for the final issue because I remember someone telling me Emma's really cool in this one. You should read it. So I did uh, the the mm-hmm. end that we'll talk about in a second. I'm sure, and then mm-hmm. also. Um, I'm a big Amanda Sefton head, which I know is random, but I love that character. And so I have read every appearance of Amanda Sefton that exists. Including one page where she just shows up. Including the final page of this arc (laughs) where she falls from the sky and is like, Belasco's back, Belasco's back, setting up the next arc with Scotty Young and the return of Ilyana. Which if you guys want to learn more about, you can check out our Halloween episode from last year where we covered it, I think. Well, I want to jump in because what Connor's talking about here um, and the, th- this idea of like different generations picking up X-Men at different times. Mm-hmm. I really was thinking about this this time because I'm just like you, Connor. I skipped this entire era um, and have only gone back to it because of the show. And every time, not not the first like one or two arcs, but we've done a couple of different new X-Men arcs on the show now. And every time we do, I'm like, I like this. Right. And I can imagine that if especially I was picking this up, like in my formative years, I would be in love with these characters because 
it just does a really good job of establishing the team. Um, I found myself really rooting for these guys and especially like just the banter between Anilay and Rockslide yeah. in this is just, it's so smart. I was struck by that as well because when uh, Ten of Swords creation had Rockslide bite the big one, I yeah he gets his soul cut in half guys spoilers if you haven't seen that but we've not been shy about that particular thing happening to that boy I didn't care though is the thing because (laughs) I have no I didn't I barely knew who that character was you get what I'm saying so Mm -hmm. but I could tell that a lot of people were upset about it and I was like well and here's the thing I've said this on my podcast many times I do think that the student class that is the current student class whenever you start reading the X-Men that's mm-hmm. often the characters you are most attached to. I started oh, yeah. reading my dad's back issues that were the Claremont and Simonson issues from the 80s. That was my inroad. So the original class of the New Mutants, those are my kids. And mm-hmm. like I have a fierce attachment to Madeline Pryor because when I started reading about Madeline Pryor, she wasn't evil yet. So <laughs> there's, you know, we and and the original team of Excalibur. Like I have very specific people that are my like ride or die characters and with gen x it's a, another good example i was never that into gen x but people who came in mm-hmm. with gen x those characters are the alpha and omega to them and oh, yeah. i've come to love monet a lot she's become one of my favorites <laughs> but that's been in later books mostly um so i think that it makes complete sense that if you came in with this class of students you would absolutely love them i think the big problem the characters that are most harmed in my opinion by the marvel sliding time scale are two kinds of characters and one is the characters tied to a very specific political moment like colossus who no longer can have lived in the soviet union which makes his his whole thing not really make sense and then the students because now you have it's like how long it's the robins problem right it's like now you have 50 x-men students if you go from Danny and Sam all the way up through armor and blindfold or whatever and they're all competing for page time at the same time so, oh yeah it's tricky I mean and that's why you've got legions of fans who of who this want era, all who of their favorite characters to come back and there are exactly and unfortunately yeah. sometimes when you love and I'm saying this as someone who has always loved the D-list like I remember when Megan popped back up and I was like, yeah, and it was House of M. And then she immediately committed suicide to save the world. And I was like, oh, great. She got better. She got better. I'm just saying, if you love characters who are not on lunchboxes, you do often have to grapple with the fact that when they come back, it's often to get their soul cut in half to launch an event. You mean characters like Mammomax? Yes, the beloved Mammomax. Zach, what is this this arc about? This arc, this is a four-issue arc uh, in the middle of the Craig Kyle and Chris Yost run on New X-Men. Paco Medina does the pencils on this. Juan Velasquez is on inks and Brian Reber on colors for this bad boy here. Uh, And it follows a couple of different threads that Kyle and Yost had been placing throughout their entire time on X-Men up until this point, starting with uh, some of the stuff that was going on in X-23, their initial series with Laura, uh, who is a central character here, uh, and her handler, uh, Kamara, uh, who is terrible and deserves every bad thing that happens to her. Uh, but it also it also follows uh, Mercury, mm-hmm. uh, Salisi, 
Cecily Kincaid. Cecily. I'm just realizing I've read her name a million times. I've never said it out loud. Oh, yeah. Cecily. <laughs> Cecily. Uh, following Cecily, as she gets captured by Weapon X plus facility people, whatever amalgamation whatever you want to call it, it now. The, bad, the bad guys now. Looking for Striker. Sublime's Peewee's yeah. Playhouse or whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> R- working for Stryker, but he's dead. That confused me about this storyline. Is the oh I- well, is he the idea? I know, but why? Like, why are they still making the Predator X? Why are they doing? Like, is it need, is it I because the, are the purifiers? No, or but are the purifiers still like we still want that? And they're like, oh, okay. Yes. I mean, I guess. Yeah, the right? purifiers are definitely still around by Complex. Okay, so, right. No, that's because I have X- read I have read Messiah Complex. So that yeah. yeah, right. Which this which this feeds into right. This is this is the uh, <laughs> this is the origin story. Predator X. <laughs> Predator X is the worst part of that story. I just always think of the predator sound from the Predator, like just the like, movie Predator, <laughs> right? The very the very <laughs> famous alien movie. Yes, but... Marvel Studios, the Predator. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, because um, Predator X's skin is made up of Mercury's skin. Yeah, so I didn't know that until he's... I read this, and it was very unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah, she gets really bad tortured in this and doesn't have any agency in this story, which isn't great for this story named after her. Yeah, I will say the thing I really didn't like about this story was the fact that a lot of it was for issues of a teenage girl being stripped naked and violently tortured in a tube and unable to do anything about it. Yeah, that's not great. And that's an unfortunate thing that happens a lot in uh, these because that post-decimation era, specifically for this book is so much torture and pain and everyone dying or if they aren't dying having horrible things happen to I them. remember when the bus exploded. I think I was still on board for that. The bus does explode. Um that's but rough. the thing is the bus exploding like that's rough. There's something about this specific um thing though that has and here's the thing. I understand again, I don't know these characters that well, but I do understand mm-hmm. that like Mercury is usually kind of nude. She's like one of those Iceman type characters, right? Because of the nature of her power. But there is something about she's wearing clothes when they go to the coffee shop and then she's kidnapped and she's nude and they're torturing her. And it's this creepy guy like torture. And it just has a, um, it has a sexual vibe that made me uncomfortable. It just does. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll say Paco Medina uh, does a lot of cheesecake art that people really like, which is great. It's not the best fit for a book about teenagers, hmm. sure. uh, where he draws he draws a lot of teenage girls in very skimpy clothing. Uh, it's it's not great. I liked the <laughs> art overall, but I I didn't. Uh, I just thought that the way she was drawn in the torture sequences was not i was like could we i mean could we at least put her in like a hospital gown or something i don't know i just was not <laughs> i just i just i have i have a maybe it's because i was a teenager at the time but i have like a bad gut reaction to this exact sense of style that was going on in books like right around that mid-2000s era yeah i had just, i had jumped off to dc hits. because of the decimation i was reading gotham central or whatever so i missed all of this <laughs> yeah 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 paco medina is interesting because he's kind of like joe mad 2.0 in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in, the, in the cartoony style that he's doing however but it's less that um, it's less <clears throat> that it's not as no, manga like joe mad no. stuff always feels very sort of manga inspired and what me. i what i do mm-hmm. appreciate is that paco medina does do a little bit more acting 
with his characters. It's not mm-hmm. just poses. Um, right. Emma's facial the, expressions I kept noticing throughout this yeah. and, and a lot of the facial expressions. I actually, again, as someone who had always thought X-23 was pretty stupid reading this, I was like, oh, she's fine. Kind of like yeah. I was like, this is fine. You know, I'm, I'm warming to X-23. The people who write into my podcast email and always like you need to love X-23. I'm like, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So <laughs> get to that Tom Taylor. All new that's world. what I've been told. And I'll get yeah. to yeah, it that, eventually. That's that's, that's where you'll that's when she's actually good. I'll that's certainly get to it life. before I do an episode on her. I got to I yeah. just but I have a lot of reading to do before I can do that. Um, but what I was saying to Zach before we got uh, started here is that uh, very similarly to other uh, arcs that we've done of this, I feel like the real strength of this book is that Kyle and Yost know how to how to keep a tempo of action going so that I am very compelled to keep flipping the page. Yeah, the pacing's never great. Bored. The mm-hmm. pacing is fantastic. Now, is Medina's art always like perfect? No, but he does work really well with this script just to keep things going. And you get that elevated sense of anxiety and panic that goes along with these characters trying to rescue their friend. Mm-hmm. It really does work. Um, and I will say, but- Hellion looks real hot. And again, I don't know these characters very well, but I, as a, as a homosexual, unfamiliar with these characters, I was like, okay, if I were a killing machine with no, like, what is this thing called love? And I saw that guy, I'd be like, okay, let's figure it out. Let's find out real fast. So uh, that part I bought. And I, the action sequences worked really well for me. And I think he does a good job with all of mm-hmm. the telekinetic explosions that keep mm. happening because Hellion can't control his power right now, yeah. or at least I gather that that's what's going on. Um, the the one art moment I really did object to, apart from the, uh, the, the just the general vibe of the Mercury torture scenes, was when the X-Men do arrive to save everyone in the uh. last issue and Emma jumps into the fray first. Um, mm. And I was like, I <laughs> laugh because I was like, it's just here's the thing about Emma. It's very hard for someone to draw Emma Frost in such a way that I feel it's inappropriate because Mm -hmm. Emma's whole deal from that Anne Nascenti backup in classic X-Men back in the day is she's like, I'm hot. I have spent all the money in the world to be this hot. And it is a way that I manipulate men. It is a way that I do this and that. So she always feels like she's in on the joke to me. So it's hard for even a very cheesecakey drawing of Emma Frost to feel out of character to me or to feel Mm -hmm. like it's exploitative. Uh, Obviously she's fictional and still being drawn by men. So, you know, whatever in, in most cases anyway, but this was a little much where I was just like, what is at least turn to diamond. If you're going to jump in with the girls front and center, cause they're completely unprotected. And it's just the, the cow is just covering her nips. Like there's no real, it's not, it's very like Morrigan from dark stalkers, the way that it's very kinda, much. So, you know, now, on, on the whole Connor, how do you feel about Emma in these issues? Because she starts out in an interesting place. She's very cold and harsh with these students, but she also comes through at the very end and absolutely destroys yeah. uh, Kimura's mind by taking away the only happy memory she's ever had. So I, I remember this book because I one of the things I really objected to in the immediate aftermath of the decimation was the way Emma was written. I thought mm-hmm. that her firing Danny Moonstar was out of character. I mm-hmm. thought that the battle royale with the kids to choose the field team was out of character. 
And I had to just chalk it up to like, well, the decimations happened and Emma's losing her mind a little and like she'll get it together soon. But I don't know. Those beats to me did not feel in line with the character. And that was another reason why I kind of fell off a little bit. And so I actually was relieved when I read this because while she is harsh with Laura, I thought that the things that were said were very much things Emma would say. And one of the things I love most about Emma is that unless she is deceiving an enemy for some scheme or purpose, like in X-Men Black, for example, uh, when she's deceiving Shaw, um, she doesn't lie, particularly. She is sort of like a fairy queen and that sometimes she says the truth in a way that's misleading. You know what I mean? But she typically, especially to her students does not lie. She always says what she really thinks of them. And it reminded me of in the planet X arc at the end of new X-Men when Esme is dying and she says, I was always proudest of you, you know, like because you're Mm -hmm. the one who, really made something of herself, even if that thing was an evil thing, you know? Right. Um, and I like that that scene, you think I hate you, but I don't. In many ways, we are the same, because then Emma does something that I think is uh, important, which is, and this is another reason that I didn't like X-23, is exactly what Emma says, because Emma has done lots of terrible things, Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for selfish Mm -hmm. reasons. But they are all things that she has chosen to do of her own free will. And she has had agency in all the choices she has made. X-23 as a character with almost no agency was hard for me to get into. Because it felt like, I don't know, there's a certain type of character that was popular around this time. And she was one of them river tam is another mm-hmm. and i would say that uh cassandra kane in her earliest appearances was also sort of in this mold where they're they've been sort of broken by abusive institutions and their ability to engage with the world in a way where they have agency is very limited but they are able to punch and kick very good they're totally great kung fu fighters, but they don't have much um, of a sense of self. And I always found those characters difficult to connect with. And I like that Emma calls that out specifically and is sort of mm. like, you need to get out of here because you can't control yourself. You don't have, right. you know, that capacity. Yep. So looking looking on the list here that we've got, we've got two new X-Men stories that are right around here. Uh at 150, we have the Quest for Magic, which is that Scotty Young arc that uh, mm-hmm. follows this. And then just a bit before it is uh, at 163, Childhood End slash The Crusade, the uh, bus. That's the bus blowing up. Arc. This is better than That's both of those, this is... in my opinion. See, Hot I, take. I really like Quest for Magic. Yeah. I think the art, the art in that really works for me. I love Scotty Young when he's doing that not the money-making style that that is very good for him personally. Yeah. So again, that, that is, it's kind of like my Bachalo problem. Like I, yeah, that tracks. It's it's not, yeah, it's not my, it's not my aesthetic. And my other thing was with that quest for magic arc, 
I uh, I'm a big Ileana head, as I sort of mm-hmm. implied earlier, and I'm very into all of the limbo lore and the original miniseries and the stuff with Belasco and all that. And elements of that story just didn't track for me in terms of of how they brought her back and how things were explained right. and the way Limbo was functioning. And so I just remember being a little confused by it um it didn't help that i wasn't super familiar with all the characters like i picked that up because i was like eliana's back i'm gonna read this and uh it's good it's certainly a good arc but i found this to be tighter because i think with quest for magic my issue is that it feels like there's a lot of exciting sort of set pieces but i do feel like it is a little all over the place in terms of the the pacing but that could just be me no, that's fair. Adam, around that area, what are your thoughts? All right. So um, the Craig Kyle or the <laughs> I always get Chris Kyle, this. Craig Yost. Yes. The the Craig and Yost. Maybe I got those two backwards. I'm Eros. not sure now that's that okay. Yeah. Chris Yost, it Craig starts, Kyle. Yeah, it starts with Childhoods and, and the Crusade, which is at 163. Um, I think just given that this is so much focused on just X-23 and Hellion blowing stuff up, it's not as good as the other arcs. Like there's That's not fair. as much consequence to it. That's so fair. I think I would put this at 164. Um, I, oh, really? Because I, I just don't, I don't know. I'm just never crazy about Striker. I, I would, outside of I the original say, God Loves Man Kills. Okay. So, I think we're right there with you. (laughs) So Connor saying above quest for magic, Adam saying below childhood crusade. I'm saying in the middle. So I think I'm going to get my way. I would compromise. Well, also here's what I will say. It is not as good as new mutants annual number one. Yep. There we go. Uh, it's not as good as the time the X-Force went to Burning Man. Now that I say that out loud. Yeah. That's when karma's gay. It's not as good as that. either. Yeah. She comes out real hard. Uh, but I'd say this it's better than that. Yeah, it's better than that uh, Amazing Spider-Man story. I would agree. With Iceman. Yeah, I would agree. Alrighty, uh, this is our new number one fifty-nine, and we've got a uh, we've we've saved a very interesting one for last. Yeah, but I we, I, um... I do want to say because we didn't really touch on it that I love that scene with Emma and Kimura in oh, yeah. thirty-six because that mm-hmm. is like I was saying before. My favorite thing about Emma is that she's not the most powerful telepath in the world. So what she does is get. It's she's like a scalpel where Rachel Summers or someone like that is a sledgehammer. And the, mm-hmm. specifically, hmm, I'm going to find the one thing you love and take it from you for the rest of your life is so vicious. But it is so Emma. And I'm sure there are people who go, that's wrong. But I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. bad. I'm fine with her being unhappy. I She's am a bad too. person. She, she should feel she bad. She really earned She's that. also fictional. It's fine. Right, but she earned that. In the same way, there were people who were not happy about the Marauders issue where Emma's like, she she tells a bunch of bigots that like, anytime you have a bigoted thought now, you're going to be violently ill for the rest of your lives. I'm not taking the bigotry Maybe away. Maybe just don't be a bigot. Right, she's like, I'm not, not going to take it you. away, but like, just so you know, you're going to be sick for the rest of your life. So enjoy it's that. Amazing. Bye now. I love that and is it ethical? I don't know. Do I think it's a good thing for Emma to do to people who yes. deserve it? Yes. I think that's <laughs> yes. queen yes. in my opinion. So It's great for this fictional character yeah. to do this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, now, something that may not have been great for this fictional character. Yeah. It's a 2004 young reader's 
Tenants. Is it though? Mm. Right. Yeah. It was supposed to be, and then they got Greg Horn to do the covers. So, well, this is 2003, and I just looked it up because I just wanted to double mm-hmm. check. This is also the era of Volume One of NYX. So we're in an editorial era of Marvel where we are definitely trying to get readers to grab a book for a certain reason. Well, that is and also why I didn't like X23 is because of NYX. Like that was Yeah, NYX is also totally very different. Bad. Character. Yeah. You know I mean? And it's, that it's was my first that was and same. I didn't watch Evolution, so that was my first exposure to that character was NYX. No one knew what that character was for years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, By the way, we're talking about the Emma Frost solo series. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're talking yes. about the Carl Bowler's Emma Frost ongoing. Yeah, Randy Green does the pencils on it. This is what we're going to talk about 1 through 6 higher learning. Higher learning. Um however, Readers who may have picked this book up based on the very terrible and uh, salacious covers of one through six, which look like some kind of romance novel gone wrong. No, I've sold romance novels. They don't have covers like this. Describe it for me, Connor. I would like to go back for a minute because when I said earlier, it's very difficult for me to see a drawing of Emma Frost and think that it is inappropriate or out of character or exploitative. This is the big exception, is these oh, covers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, they on, aren't good. They look like the cover of Hustler magazine is what they look like. I mean, not not even Playboy. It looks like Hustler. And mm-hmm. no disrespect to women modeling for Hustler. Like, you know, get get paid, girl. But uh, it's, it's a bizarre choice for a couple reasons. One, it just, there are no Marvel comics that looked like this outside of this mm-hmm. one book. So... It was already bizarre how sexual and porny looking. I mean, well, I guess eventually Greg Land made a lot of books look like this. But initially, initially, it was not something you saw very often. At that time, it was not something you saw very often. And the other thing is that it completely, uh, as as a lit agent, which is what I do for a living, I have had meetings with publishers where I say the problem with this cover talking about the cover of a book is no one who likes this cover will like the book inside and no one who would like the Mm -hmm. book inside will buy it based on this cover and this is sort of the quintessential example of that because the Emma Frost the Carboller's Emma Frost ongoing is essentially a romance comic for and it's an attempt to get young female readers is right. the way that it reads, except mm-hmm. that the covers are disgusting. Not a cheesecake is not even really sufficient. It's like a tiramisu. No, no, it's like not. I don't even it's know not. what you would call it. Like it's beyond well, cheesecake. I also just double checked. This is also the same year as Phoenix Legacy of Fire. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there's no, something were, going pushing. behind the scenes on like trying to push these. But wasn't that a Max things. title? Yes. This it isn't was. a Max but not title. Not initially. Not initially. It wasn't a Max title until issue two. Yeah. Um, uh, I but, see. So it was retconned into a Max title. Yeah. Yes, That's appropriate yes, for a they, book about Jean and Madeline, though, that it has, that it, the book yeah, itself they, is retconned. <laughs> yeah, this is what it's so surprising. I mean, the covers are really the least. Of, uh, I mean, it's a huge. No, here's the thing. I also don't like the book that's it. inside the cover, but exactly. the cover is right. a real reason why I, as Number one, I'm a Frost fan, and this is during New X Men when I like mm-hmm. I told Grant Morrison when I was when this was coming out, 
I wanted to be Emma Frost when I grew up, not because of this book, but because of New X-Men. I identified mm-hmm. profoundly with that character. And when they said we're doing an Emma Frost ongoing, I was like, yes. And it's an Emma Frost ongoing that delves into her past. Yes, I'm all in. And then I saw the covers and was grossed out. And then I read the book and I hated the book. Here's the thing that really bugs me about this book just generally is that before mm-hmm. this book, we have two glimpses of Emma's past before the Hellfire Club in canon. Mm-hmm. One is in Generation X24 in 1997, and one is, uh, this one I never need help remembering, is New X-Men 139, the one where Jean rips her memories apart. Right. Yep. Here's and, and in those two issues, now the 139 sequence is retold in issue six here but in a way that I, it's the climax of this whole but story. in a way that i didn't like because they changed it and we'll we can get to that in a sec but the big problem i have with this ongoing is that the first emma frost backstory we get is the gen a, the gen x issue and i love this issue this is a generation x issue i love which is it's christmas eve and she is talking to monet and husk and jubilee and they're all sharing mm-hmm. traumatic stories about their past and emma tells them and this is the first time she has ever really opened up to them she tells them when i was a teenager my powers catalyzed and my parents sent me to a mental institution and I was abused by the guards there. And then I learned how to use my power and I took over the guards minds and I escaped Mm -hmm. and went back home and was like, I'm not going back there. And to me as an Emma Frost fan, that was a really critical part of her backstory. And to me, it is part of why she is so protective of mutant children, because she was exploited and abused in a specific way and wants to ensure that that never happens to any other girls or boys, but particularly young women ever again. And Mm -hmm. I think that taking that from her, which this does, it doesn't occur at all, is a huge, huge problem. That's a retcon I have a huge problem with, because the only way you can make it work is to say that she was lying to the Gen mm. X girls and I don't well, think they, she would do even, that they they even later unretcon that and just have it be like Emma Frost's backstory is just very confusing. just just confusing right no because it. it doesn't it it just doesn't make sense because here it's like it's just like it's just Carrie in this mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we we should just give a brief. Uh, Let's give a brief overview. Yeah. So we have uh, an Emma pre Emma Frost Emma Frost. So brunette, kind of awkward, unpopular in. But with uh, a perfect this... nose, which again is a mistake. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the one thing we definitely know she paid for. And it's really the adventures of you know it it it's very much a cross between kind of like a Dawson's Creek. Um, you know, CW show and the, it's, it's also very much like a daytime soap and it's, because and it's Carrie. I mean, it literally is just the plot of right. Carrie right down we, to the pretty have, blonde girl. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the ongoing struggles of the Frost family, uh, Emma and her siblings. I, you, you probably remember Christian, but there are actually two other sisters, mm-hmm. Adrian and Cordelia. They both suck in different ways. Adrian's the model. Adrian's, Adrian's the model who then later kills a lot of people in Gen X and Emma shoots her in the face. And I quite right. honestly... Cordelia found Mondo once. Cordelia's, Cordelia never accomplished anything. One thing that... An, another continuity point that annoyed me here is that they have Adrian blonde here and Adrian's a redhead. The point of them in Gen X is that they're a blonde, <laughs> a brunette, and a redhead. It's like that. Mm-hmm. It's that, you know, three weird sisters thing. Um, but 
the first thing in this issue, that the, the first issue of this that jumped right out at me is it opens with the narration box 10 years ago, to which I wrote, oh, absolutely not. No. Because the idea... I hated that. Here's the thing. I understand that Marvel has a sliding timescale, and I understand that, that the original X-Men are not allowed to age past, let's say, 33 to 35. My issue is... Emma Frost needs to be older than them because if you've yes. read the Dark Phoenix saga, it does not make sense that they are the same age nope. as Emma Frost. So nope. I, the only way, and I understand that New X-Men was coming out at this time, but the only way that you could make 10 years ago here make any sense is if you believed Emma in that one New X-Men issue when she said she was 27, except that's clearly Which is obviously a, lie. a joke, right? It's clear that she's not being truthful there. And that's right. the joke. So like, no, this should be right off the bat. That doesn't, this make should be sense. 20 years ago at the, you know, like, I, cause to me, Emma's about 40. Right. So, well, and uh, you know, this this is also using a t sliding time scale. So we have cell phones here. Right. Um, we have more modern technology than would probably be in the actual era. And then you um, see the original X Men in their '60s costumes on TV. We do, and it's kind of implied that those characters might be a little bit older than Emma, which do also doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No. So I. I know we already highlighted the problem with the covers, um, but there are just some basic things here that were incredibly not cool, uh, especially for me who works in education. The hot for um, teacher stuff is really gross to me about exactly. this whole book. Um, one of the big uh, stories in the first three issues is her relationship with uh, her teacher, who she ends up calling by his first name. And he's I mean, okay with that. Breaks yeah. just about every, every rule. rule of education. He uh, witnesses her conf like confide uh, that she is thinking of, of self-harm. I'll keep your secret. No, educators are not going to keep your secret. You don't tell your student you're their friend. Um, you don't promise to tell nobody. You don't promise to keep things, uh, especially when they are self-injuring. Um, it, it's it's a whole lot of mess right off the bat. And the, the latter three issues are really all about this soap opery drama with the father and I'm sorry. It none of it works. None of it so, works. Uh, he is this like Machiavellian. I can be everywhere and and be one step ahead of you at all times. It doesn't make sense. So I agree and disagree. I hate the Ian storyline. I the teacher. I think that storyline is disgusting. I also have read the rest of this solo book, so I know that when she's in college, she finds him again and they start dating, which to me is foul. Oh god, really? Yes. And oh, so is that great? Yeah. So here's my thing with that. He behaves completely inappropriately, but the writing doesn't seem to understand that because the the three nope. issues after she impulsively kisses him because she has read in his mind that he's attracted to her. And he's like, oh, my God, Emma, we like I'm your teacher. What are you doing? And she's like, but I know you like me. And, you know, whatever. The, the issues after that, to me, seem to make this Emma's fault. It's like Emma did mm -hmm. something wrong, except that what actually was wrong here is that this teacher was grooming her in a way that was really inappropriate. And so, like, you know, your job when you are the teacher is if she says, can I call you Ian? You say no. <laughs> right. Like, you know, like, 
I, I just I can't I can't take that and I no, it, I find that really whole and that's when I said it's basically a romance book for young readers except like is it because the romance and I'm telling you because this runs for what 19 issues something like that the big romance in it is with that teacher right it's which it's is pulled straight twisted. from Pacey in, in Dawson's Creek yeah and it's really gross um and I think the other issue, I mentioned the self-harm already. Mm-hmm. The the way in which uh, Christian's um, yeah. uh, suicide attempt is is portrayed is also just, there's something incredibly Glib distasteful. Yes. Like, it's just like a, a, a shrug kind of thing. So, so this is where I disagree, actually. I, I think the stuff with the father works. And I think the stuff with the father works because I think it explains a lot about Emma's relationship with Sebastian Shaw mm-hmm. because that is a part of Emma's character that is hard to reconcile with the Emma that we have come to know the Emma of the eighties who is so subordinate to Shaw. Mm-hmm. And so I think that giving her, so to speak, daddy issues is a thing that makes sense somewhat as a way to sort of psychologically explain why she would feel drawn to Shaw, why she would spend as much time with Shaw as she does. I think that works. And I also think that this evil patriarch makes sense when you have met Adrian and Cordelia and you know how dreadful they are. Adrian in particular, who's an evil sociopath. Um, But I think that that works. I do think it is very... Dallas or you know one of those so he it it is very soapy I don't have a problem with that though like I don't I don't either the building blocks are here but yeah the problem is that we don't get enough of a sense of I think her relationship with him outside of him Mm -hmm. being disapproving that we you know there isn't there's another uh Emma Frost backstory issue that I don't particularly like but that I think does a little bit better job um, characterizing their relationship. I forget what the issue is, but it's like an unlimited or something. It's one of the anthology guides. It's a one shot. Okay. Yep. 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 Um, I know which one you're. And I, I think that the, but what I will say is I think the Christian stuff really works actually. Uh, I think that this is the, the two things from this mini series that I accept in my personal canon essentially are that Christian is gay and that that is what precipitated all of this stuff, which is not something that was established until this series and that has remained consistent. And that to me recontextualizes the early frost story with Iceman in a way that is very interesting Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. Emma's the one who tells Bobby he's gay decades before Jean tells Bobby he's gay. So the fact that she has sympathy for that, crisis he's having makes a lot of sense when you add this aspect to the character and the fact that it's Adrian who does it who sends him spiraling down by betraying him to their Mm -hmm. father is also something that adds a much needed context to the relationship between Emma and Adrian in Generation X which is not enormously well developed there before she enters the stage so I like that I like I like Christian as a concept and I like a lot of this conceptually. And I think later writers can just say, Oh yeah, those are the building blocks and we can work around that and build something out of it. I don't like it in execution here. I don't think, I don't think the soap elements on that side work as well. 
They, I think, they, I think Christian a, gets a really quick turnaround from supportive brother to yes, the tragic story. That they they do a, shove that into about one issue, and it does that doesn't right. work. No, there's a framework here. I have no issue really with the plotting of this book. Mm-hmm. It's just very poorly written. Yeah, <laughs> and it's very poorly drawn. So it's not enjoyable in the slightest. You you really kind of have to pick and choose what elements you want to keep about this character's backstory and what you want to avoid. Yeah, so, I would say I, I like the Christian stuff up bad. through he hangs, tries to hang himself, and then it's mm-hmm. then it's terrible. I will agree with sure. you there. Yeah, I I think that's that that I and agree I with think for that sure. if there yeah. were if there were three more issues in there to this arc, it might not be terrible that way but they want to get to emma striking out on her own which leads me to the thing i really hate about issue six which is that one of the most iconic emma scenes is the one where in new x-men 139 where gene is invading her memories and forcing her to relive all of her traumas and we see this exact scene where winston is choosing which of his daughters will inherit the company Mm -hmm. and he says emma you know, it'll be you. And Adrian's like, what the f***? And Emma says, I think I'll make my own way, actually, and Mm -hmm. gets up and leaves. And what this issue does instead is have Christian getting dragged off to the institution happen in that scene and have Emma reconcile with her father right before that scene And it's like that she has to have something happen for her to realize, oh, no, my daddy is bad after all. Whereas the scene in New X-Men is much stronger because we don't need to know anything about Winston Frost in that two pages Mm -hmm. that are so brilliantly drawn by Phil Jimenez and so brilliantly written by Grant Morrison to understand this guy sucks and Emma knows he sucks and has the self-assurance and wherewithal at 17 or however old she's supposed to be to get up and walk out without a moment's mm-hmm. thought. And so I think it makes her a much weaker character, the way that it's retold here. And that's sort of my problem with this whole ongoing is that mm-hmm. Emma in all of the in the Gen X backstory issue we got and in that new X-Men flashback has never been someone who grovels, has never been someone who... I just don't buy the whole framing of her here as this, like, sissy space that can carry, bullied girl. I just don't... None of it fits for me. The way I I always saw it is Emma was whip-smart, very confident in herself, but was not physically attractive particularly. And so the one thing she thought, I have to fix this about myself, is that she wanted to be more traditionally physically attractive to men for the the better to ascend to whatever stratosphere of power she believed that that would give her. And so that's what she went out and did. But other than that, she was pretty fully formed from the moment she left and and showed up at the Hellfire Club. And so I understand that if you want to do a YA type story with her, you there, there's this tendency, I guess, with heroines in that mold to make them the misfit, the outcast, the the bullied girl. But I just don't think it it works, and I think that in particular it weakens her position in the family dynamic. Absolutely, I I definitely agree with that. So I've got I've got a question for you. Looking at this, Adam, we're we're looking at this list here. I am. I am in this real long list. I am in the 300s. 
You're in the 300. See, I'm looking at number 400 right now, which is Phoenix Warsong, which... Oh, okay. Um, this is better than Phoenix Warsong. I think that's probably <laughs> true, but I don't know how much better it is. Uh, it Cause it I, is. I'm looking, I'm looking up... I'm looking this at the stuff that's under that, like X Men Forever. Like it's <laughs> no, it gets it gets I, bad. I love point. Chris Claremont, but like X Men Forever is not his. Chris best. Claremont's done some bad yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's not I his best. I would put it at least ahead of 392, which is the uh, What If X Men Lost Inferno, which is an absolutely like garbage. Yeah, but it's thing. not, um, and it's it is better than Marvel Manga verse X Men. I think. Which is that? I think that's that's at, that's 382, at 382 now. Okay. I hmm. I could put it ahead of those Captain Marvel issues. It's not the as with Adam it's, you know what? Street. It's not as good as Pride and Wisdom. It's not. That's at three three. Like speaking of minis are like better. minor ongoing that are like not great, but like have good parts. That, like Pride and Wisdom is better than this. It's not, it's as, not good as good as, as Star Man. Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, and it's, not, it's not as good as the first volume of Iceman. No, certainly not. In fact, the Christian... Which one's the 97th annual of X-Force and Cable? Is that the Viking one? Yes, that's uh, Return to Asgard. Oh, God. That's bad. Yeah, that is bad. Um, This isn't as good as the X-Force X-Man onslaught stuff. Okay. Mm, it's It's better than that... Okay, wait, 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 wait. probably better than the noirs. Hold on, though. Which issues of the Hidden Years are six and seven? Uh, That is when they meet Storm. Yeah, that sucks. Okay, so it's better. Because here's the thing. I'm a little bit of a Hidden Years stan because I love Candy Southern. Um, Who doesn't love Candy Southern? Apparently Marvel. She's been dead for like 30 years. Bring her back. The Phalanx Mm. are back. Bring back Candy. I have thoughts. Call me. Um, so <laughs> I, I have a lot of candy Southern thoughts. Um, but the point is, yes, it's better than those issues of the hidden years. It's definitely better than the noirs. X-Men 67 to 70. Is that when evil Jean Grey replaces Madeline? Yes. Yeah, that's yes. awful. This is better than that. Um, so we're right here, folks. I would put it under, I think that Iceman volume one is definitely Iceman volume one. That's the day Mateus miniseries. From yes. the, yeah, this is, th- that's better than this. That's better than this. I have a soft spot for the X Force X Man from Onslaught. I just hate all Onslaught, so, say, so I'm no. I'm that's biased. fair. That's fair. So this is going to be our new three seventy six. I'd say our new three seventy six is Emma Frost one through six higher learning. And that that wraps us up. Hey Connor, thank you so much for being on this episode. If people wanted to find out more of uh, what you do, why don't you give a little uh, shout out for your show? I would love to. So my podcast is called Cerebro. It's relatively new. We're only 10 episodes in. It updates every week. And uh, I have a guest on, sometimes a creator, sometimes just another really enthusiastic fan to talk about their favorite character and we go through essentially the character's entire publication history. In the middle of each episode, I do a segment called the Cerebro Character File where I do go in publication history, not like the canon with retcons history, but I'll tell you about the retcons as they happen and things like that. And a lot of people seem to find those useful. The idea is if you're jumping into the X-Men, that is not it's not easy to survive that experience, let's say. So <laughs> I try to help with that. And you can find that at Cerebrocast.com. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. 
and I can be followed on Twitter at Dream of Organon. Dream of O R G O N O N. I'm sorry, it's a Kate Bush lyric, and Connor Goldsmith is being <laughs> squatted on. And uh, on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. Uh, Connor, I apologize. Connor, like I know. I, I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. It's just hard to spell. And then, um, yeah, Instagram Connor Goldsmith. Connor like Sinead O'Connor Goldsmith like a jeweler. And if you want cool, to read cool. more about my uh, my clients, my work as a literary agent, including the incredible Teeny Howard, uh, who has guested on this podcast before Ooh. and who I adore, uh, you can read all about it, my clients and my work as a literary agent at ConnorGoldsmith.com. That's a great, a great resume uh, there, bud. I'm trying. Adam, what about yourself? <laughs> Uh, folks, you can always where, where follow, can people all find your stuff? You guys can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and uh, Zach. Where can everybody find the latest and greatest? They can find the latest and greatest X Men, Marvel, and other related things over on XavierFiles.com. We've got a lot of good stuff. Uh, there's a really good piece about crossover uh, that will be out by the time you uh, get up to this episode. <laughs> anyway, a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be out there for your uh, your viewing pleasure uh, or on Twitter at Xavier Files. If you want to support the show, you can do that monetarily by going over to Battle of the Atom on Patreon or just like tell your friends about it. Leave a review. It's all in the direction of goodness and it'll all help more people find this beautiful X-Men world that we live in. Now, what are we talking about Adam, next week? I think we all need a little bit of hope right now. Oh, yeah. In our lives. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Hope Summers. Uh, mm. Well, I'm be... glad. I'm glad I did this one. <laughs> yeah, we, I'd have to do a lot of reading on that because again, that's the whole era that I kind of checked out on. Um, yeah, we're we're gonna get into it. Well, thank uh, you guys so be... much for having me. This was fun. I'm sorry that I talked so much and was interrupted, but I was excited. I'm glad you did. It was very never educational. never apologize. <laughs> uh, it was great great having you, Connor. Uh, and you know what? We'll see you. We'll see you some other time. But until then, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!